Well, the message for today is the radical truth of Easter. I don't know if you really realize how radical Easter can be. It's a pretty amazing thing. It's only happened once (laughs) until someday when you and I, as Christ followers, are going to experience the same thing. But the single most important event in the history of the human race took place on a Sunday 1,990 or so years ago. You all know it as Easter, although some people in different churches refer to it as Resurrection Sunday. But without Easter, the church as we know it, restore as we know it, uh, would, have, would not have come into existence. Without Easter, uh, the name of Jesus would be about as recognizable as the name Thutis. You all know Thutis, right? No? Well, that's my point. Thutis lived in Israel um, several years before Jesus. Uh, Thutis was in his time a fairly well-known prophet and teacher. He attracted hundreds of followers, but when he offended the wrong people, they killed him. Does that sound kind of familiar? Well, then why haven't we heard about Thutis? Good old Thutis. Seemed like a good guy. Well, it was because after his death, every last one of his followers scattered and went on and did did a whole bunch of other things and it didn't take long before everybody forgot about good old Thutis. But when Jesus died, something else different happened. It looked like the same thing might have happened. But before he was even dead, the overwhelming majority of his followers already bailed out on him. I mean, you remember Peter, good old Peter. Jesus said to him at one time, you're a rock. And on this rock, I'm going to build my church. But Peter uh, crumbled into a bag of sand, literally, when he saw Jesus facing death. He deserted Jesus. He denied Jesus. He disappeared And he went back and said, I'm going to get on my boat and go fishing. When when Jesus died, it appeared that his cause was just about as good as good old Thutis. He was going to remain about as obscure as good old Thutis. But oddly enough, and maybe we should say happily enough, that did not happen. The followers of Jesus all the way from the beginning, did not just scatter into oblivion. In fact, they all came back bolder, uh, more courageous, and more radical than ever before. Now, the question is, what happened? What was the difference in their lives? Well, I can sum it up in two words. Easter Sunday. Those are the two words. That's what made a difference. Jesus died. They put him in a tomb. And then... Lo and behold, he came back to life. He's dead and gone, and then he's suddenly alive and with them again. Now, seeing firsthand a resurrected person, man, can you imagine how that might change your life if somebody you knew died and suddenly they came strolling into the front doors of Restore? That'd be, that'd be quite the thing. I mean, that'd be pretty radical. And that's why I said that Easter Sunday and what it stands for, this resurrection of Jesus is all about radical truth. And that's what I want to talk about today, three radical truths of Easter. Now, why is this the most important day in history? Now, some of you are saying, well, come on, Barry, we've been going to church our whole life. We know the story. Okay, well, good for you. Coached along with the rest of us who don't know it all, including your pastor. 
you know, it, it's important because of the events of that day, which we which we heard Lou read about from Mark chapter 16. It confirms three very important things about your life, my life. And I hope this individually hits you, these three radical truths in some way. Now, here's radical truth number one. We know Jesus is who he said he was. Now, Jesus walked around all the time and claimed that he was God, and he proved it. He did what Thutis could not do. He beat death. Now, no doubt you've probably heard people say, and I've had people who find out that I'm a pastor and they want to debate me over uh, the Bible or whatever, but every once in a while they want to challenge me on Jesus. And I've had people say, well, Jesus, yeah, I'll grant that he was a great moral teacher. He was kind of like Buddha. Uh, he was kind of like Confucius. He was a little bit like Mohammed. But I always stop the person and say, hold it. You, you, you can't say that. Uh, you can't really say that. And here I'm going to give you the reason why you can't say that. Because Jesus made claims about himself that Buddha and Confucius and Muhammad never, ever made about themselves. I mean, what did Jesus do? Jesus said, I'm God. The other three guys didn't say that. He claimed that he would some always be exalted, that he existed before the world began. In fact, that he was there at the time and he helped create this world. And someday he would come back and you and I who follow him would rule this world. Now, if I stood before you this morning and I started out saying, welcome to Restore, uh, folks, I'm God. I want you to know that I'm God. And uh, someday, me, Pastor Barry, I'm going to rule this world. Would you all be out there saying, wow, what a great moral teacher Pastor Barry is. <laughs> well, some of you would probably say, what a big liar. Some... I know Deb would sit back and she'd say, he's crazy. <laughs> he's crazy. Come on, Ed, let's get out of here. This dangerous man, this lunatic is on the loose. And of course, if I stood up here today and I made those kind of silly claims, uh, you'd be correct. But when Jesus made these claims, he was not lying. He was not crazy. He was not dangerous. He was just telling the truth. Repeatedly, Jesus claimed to be God. And it drove the people crazy. John 5.18, for example, says, For this reason the Jews tried all the harder to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, oh boy, but he even called God his own father, making himself equal with God. Now, when Jesus was referring to God as his father, he didn't say, Oh, by the way, I have an earthly father. His name is Joseph. And I have another one up in heaven. That's the one is God. He said, No, God is my father. I don't even have an earthly father. See, Jesus claimed to be God. And then he proved it by conquering death. That's why we're here today. And I hope you know what that really means for us as Christ followers. It means that we have to take seriously Every last word that Jesus ever said. I mean, for example, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I mean, if Jesus did what he did, you've got to accept that. That means we have, to, we have to abandon all that nonsensical... I'd edit my mouth for a moment because I wanted to say something that I probably shouldn't say out loud in church. But we have to edit out all that kind of stuff... Where like all religions 
lead to the same place. Maybe you've heard that one before. Or it doesn't really matter what you believe just as long as you're sincere. Well, guess what? You'll be sincerely wrong. That's my response. Jesus says very specifically in John 10, 9, I am what? The gate, whoever enters through Barry? No, whoever enters through me will be saved. And see, because of the resurrection, friends, these words carry an enormous amount of weight. If Jesus had stayed in the grave, they put him in there and he stayed there, the questions of whether or not he is the only way to heaven, well, we can we could debate that. We could have a really interesting talk back time later. But the resurrection answers questions and ends the argument once and for all. So is Jesus really the Son of God? Well, if somebody asked me that, I'd say, well, he conquered death. That's pretty good for a starter. So I guess that means he's everything he claimed to be. He is the Son of God. That's radical truth number one. He is who he said he was. Well, here's radical truth number two. No situation, and I could have underlined that a million times, no situation is beyond God's power. Now, on the surface, late Friday, early Saturday morning, Saturday afternoon, Saturday evening, it appeared, it appeared that the death of Jesus had ruined everything that he had taught. It appeared that his death initiated the death of a dream. It appeared that God had lost the battle and Satan had won. But, and there's always a but. There's plenty of buts in the Bible. Galatians 3.13. Paul has, it talks about this. And Paul, Paul describes it in Galatians chapter 3. He says, Jesus died the worst possible death that a Jewish man could possibly die in those days. He was ridiculed. He was mocked. He was beaten, and contrary to all the pictures you've seen, he was stripped naked when he was put up onto that cross. It was an ultimate humiliation for a Jewish person. The turn of events toward the end of Jesus' life ran contrary to everything that he had taught for the previous three years, at least in the minds of people who had an idea of what they thought the Messiah might be. They kind of expected a Messiah who might come riding into town on a big white charger accompanied by soldiers. And instead, we learned last week, he came in riding on a donkey and sat there and cried when he saw it and thought what a big mess this place was going to be someday. And yet, and yet, God had a plan. Uh, Through his resurrection, every last one of us have been reconciled to God. Paul talks about it in 1 Corinthians. And through his resurrection, he'd be shown to be Lord of all. And through his death, the power of death is going to be defeated once and for all. Now, when you read the gospel accounts of Jesus, and I would say you should do that. Read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Or if you've ever gone out and seen a passion play someplace, or whether you've been kind of tracking through uh, the video presentation of The Chosen, or if you remember that movie a number of years ago, The Passion of the Christ, you can't help but experience a sense of tragedy. I mean, absolute tragedy as Jesus is nailed to that cross. And you got to step back. And I remember seeing The Passion of the Christ, and I, I, one of the thoughts that still kind of triggers through my mind when I think about that movie is, He didn't do anything to deserve that. That's that's terrible. Yet the events of his life 
at the end seemed to kind of spin completely out of control. And on the surface, it appeared that his enemies had won the war. Now, Jesus said to telestai, that Greek word, which is an accounting term, which means paid in account. It is finished, but it's literally God who said, I see my son, but it's not done. It isn't finished. In fact, we all know how the story goes out. That's why we're here today. Uh, we can almost hear God laugh. But I, I think about that every once in a while, that as people were crucifying him and he was dying, I, I just picture God kind of chuckling in the background as they laid his body in the tomb. You could almost hear him say, I got you right where I want you. Why is that? Because he knew what was going to happen on the third day. The stone of his tomb is going to be rolled away. The blood in his lifeless body was going to begin to pump again. Uh, his lungs were going to be filled with oxygen again. His strength would return to his body. And he would march right out the front of that tomb. He would stand again. See, God could laugh that day because he knew that through the death of Jesus and his resurrection, the whole world, and that means everybody from bow back to Ed, and everybody in between is going to be saved. See, the resurrection just proves that um, nothing is beyond God's power. Nothing is out of God's control. And if God can bring a dead man back to life, I got good news for you. He can, put a, he can create a resurrection in your life today as well. I think that's pretty cool. What's died in your life lately? You ever given that thought? I mean, what dreams or what hopes or what relationships or what vision or what seems to be maybe kind of spinning out of control in your life? What's happening right now in your life that seems totally out of God's control? Now, do I need to remind you of anything? Actually, I need to remind all of us of something today. And what I need to remind all of us is there is absolutely no situation that is beyond his power. There are no circumstances that are beyond God's control. I want you to think about it this way. I mean, if God had a big dictionary, he'd be crossing words out all the time in the dictionary. Uh, the resurrection makes the word hopeless obsolete. The, uh, it makes the word impossible meaningless. It, it makes the word despair insignificant. And that's why Paul would write in Romans 8:11, and if the spirit of him who raised Christ from the dead is living in you, he will also give life to your mortal bodies through the spirit. That's why when I do funerals, I always call, I like to call funerals homegoing events. Because there's life. Now it may appear that somebody's dead, but you know as we sit together in churches and places like that and we we do funerals and I've done a couple of them in the last couple of months, they aren't there. They're enjoying life while everybody else is weeping when they ought to be kind of smiling and say, yeah, it's a sad day because so-and-so is no longer going to be around. But boy, wouldn't you like to be with them? One of my best friends in Texarkana, John Folks, when I walked past his casket, I leaned over and I said, you old buzzard, you cut in line. <laughs> He'd have said the same thing to me if it were me. That's why Paul says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. See, there's no situation beyond God's power and beyond his resurrection, and his resurrection proves it. Now, here's, res here's radical uh, truth number three. 
And that is that God's forgiveness is available to everyone. As these women stopped at the tomb, uh, at that empty tomb, and were there to prepare his body for burial, you heard Lou read, they were met by an angel, and he told them that Jesus wasn't there. He had risen from the dead. But I hope you noticed something, and, and you almost kind of highlighted it, Lou, and you read it before. He said, go tell the disciples and Peter. He's going ahead of you into Galilee. And that seems kind of odd, doesn't it? I, you said, hold on, I thought he was a disciple. We need to ask, why did the angel mention Peter specifically? I'm going to tell you why. It was so that there wouldn't be anyone's doubt in anyone's mind that God intended to fully, I'm going to use a really interesting word here, restore him back to where he belonged. See, every disciple had literally deserted them. I mean, all 12 of them, well, 11 of 12, if you count Judas, he bailed out early. But Peter's failure was, in a certain respect, the worst. Because he had denied Jesus three times. And you may need to remember back in Matthew 10, Jesus said, Whoever denies me before others, I will also deny him before my Father in heaven. Now, I have a sneaking feeling on the crucifixion day, Peter believed that he was all washed up as a Christ follower. And I'm pretty sure some of the other disciples thought the same thing about Peter. But God wanted to make something very clear to all of these people, and that's that his forgiveness is available to every last person. See, here's where the part about the death of Jesus that no one really understood at this time. And it's this, that when Jesus died on the cross, every last sin committed from the Garden of Eden till 1030 today were placed on Jesus' shoulders and all of the sins that are come. Every sin, past, present, and future, were placed on Jesus. Paul, when he's writing through the Holy Spirit to the Corinthian congregation, he says, 2 Corinthians, I think, God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of Christ. I find that really powerful. I have a number of crosses and one of them made by uh, people who made our little Restore logo. It, it's a cross, and in it is a mirror in the middle. And I stopped and I looked at it this morning. And, I, and it's a great reminder that Jesus died <laughs> for that guy in the mirror. See, when he died, he paid the price for your sins, my sins, paid it all. Nothing left for you to pay. I mean, you don't have to do anything anymore. There's nothing left for you to do except accept it. And all through his earthly ministry, it's kind of interesting, Jesus went around forgiving people left and right. His promises of forgiveness would have been meaningless, though, had he not risen from the grave. But the resurrection proves that he actually has the power to forgive every last single sin that you and I have ever committed, nor will continue to commit. So if you have sin in your life today, and guilt might be eating you up, God will forgive you. That's the good news for today. Your family may never forgive you. Your kids may never forgive you. The people you work with, the people you hang out with may never forgive you. Your enemies may never forgive you. But God does. But God does. And the reason is, is forgiveness isn't, isn't other people's to give or withhold. Jeff may say, Barry, I'll never forgive you. Well, I'm sorry, Jeff. You don't have the ability to do that. Humanly, maybe 
but you don't have the ability to give or withhold forgiveness. The only one who has the power to forgive is the only one who has the power over death. And I think his name is Jesus and not Jeff. Wow. The only one that can forgive you. Absolutely. Completely. Without fail. When you come to him in repentance. So we're going to be doing that in a little bit before we get to communion. We're going to talk about being broken people. Seeking his forgiveness. One of my favorite Bible passages I hate to say that because sometimes I say that because I'll use it, I'll say that again in a couple of weeks before I use another Bible passage. But First John one verse nine: If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's why the angel said, "Go tell the disciples and Peter." Now I want you to remember something. There's another part of the Easter story where another name is extremely important. It's when Mary came and showed up to anoint the body of Jesus. She saw that the stone had been rolled away and she was crushed because she was pretty sure someone had come and stolen the body. But then Jesus approaches her and seeing her weeping and wailing in the grief, he asked why she was crying. And she said, they've taken my master. Now, here's another part of the Bible I really love. I'll tell you about another part next week. Um, She thought Jesus was perhaps the gardener. She hadn't looked at him yet. And then Jesus said, Mary. And guess what? Immediately she knew who he was. Easter is when God comes into your life. Bo, Anthony. Mr. Markin, when Jesus comes into your life and speaks your name and it changes your life completely. See, Easter is where you learn about a man who loves you beyond anything you can ask for or imagine. This is somebody who loves you, who died for your sins, rose on the third day. He can change your life. And that's why Easter literally calls your name, Artie. Easter calls your life, Diana. Would you listen very carefully as I kind of wrap up here today? Someone named Jesus has forgiven you, Linda, for example, of every sin you've ever done, past, present, and future. He's given you, David, the hope of heaven and the hope of eternal life. And that makes a really big difference right here, right now, and forever. And with that being said, I'm going to invite you to stand and let's confess that faith we have in that Savior by what it is that we believe.